My name is Susie. I have three children, the youngest of whom struggles with anxiety, depression, and suicidal ideation. I never thought this could happen to me, and I miss the signs. Being a parent is really hard, but I'm here to help. I'm talking to other parents and experts to help you with the struggles that your kids may face. I want you to know that you are not alone and there is hope. I'm not a physician, therapist, or counselor. I'm just a mom. I want to see you smile again, take away that pain in them clouds that keep covering up the sun. This episode of the Just a Mom podcast is the second in a two-part series. If you haven't listened to episode 10, go back and listen to it before starting episode 11. Thanks again for listening to the Just a Mom podcast. Now here's the rest of my conversation with Aaron. Uh, two days after Anthony um, got Roscoe, I woke up to, like my phone had gone off in the middle of the night and I didn't think anything of it. I just kind of let it go. I thought it's spam or something. And then my text started going and I looked at it and it was a text from his best friend who lives in Manhattan, but lived in an apartment and couldn't get into the dorm. Um, apparently through social media or something, Something, I, I don't, to this day, I don't even know what was said, but something was said and uh, Anthony's friends immediately went to the dorm. Wow. They called the dorm, said, you need to go check on him. We don't think he's okay. They tried to get into the dorm. They wouldn't let them in. And whenever they have to do a wellness check on students in the dorms, they call the police. Sure. So the police show up. They're up in the hallway. People are peeking out their doors. And it's the middle of the night. It's the middle of the night. And Anthony let let the police in and let the person from the dorm in. And Roscoe was right there with him. And um, all I knew was is that Anthony, there was some sort of crisis. He they were concerned for his well-being and that the police were there. That was all I knew at this point. So for about an hour, I was just waiting in the middle of the night. I'm like, no, I'm, oh my I'm like, I'm driving there. I'm driving there. And um, the I, I got a phone call from the police officer that said, I'm in the car now with Anthony and Roscoe. <laughs> oh. And she said, um, Anthony is, he was very nice. When we got in there, he's having um, some suicidal ideation, so we're taking him to the crisis center. Um, but but Roscoe's with him. He was very concerned that he wouldn't be able to bring Roscoe with him, and Roscoe could go with him. So she said, "Oh, he is such a good ESA. I'm just so sad. He's sitting right there next to him with his paw on him. This dog had no training." Mm. Okay, at this point in time, he's two years old. The dog, Roscoe is, is two years old, and he'd had no training for anything. And um, he just was just focused in on Anthony and keeping his paw in there. And I I honestly believe that that's one of the things that helped him get through Mm -hmm. it. Um, Anthony was there for about five hours 
The crisis center, not the, crisis the emergency center, room. Not the emergency what, what room. What is the crisis center? So they have a Pawnee Mental Health, which is a the big... The county mental the, health right, there. Right, which is yes. a big, you know, all over the county. They have several right. locations. Mm-hmm. But fortunately, in Manhattan, they have this crisis center. Okay. And it's open 24-7. There's always somebody there um, that, you know, can answer the door. Not necessarily a therapist on call all the time. Um but that night when he went there, there was there was a social worker there that he was able to sit and talk with. And, you know, they talked for a while and, you know, it was decided that he they didn't think that he was going. He was actually a harm to himself because he had no plan um, or to others. He went back to the dorm. I was there first thing in the morning. They had told me it's going to be a while. You don't need to come now. Well, it wasn't like you're going to sleep. Right. I know. (laughs) Oh, okay. I'll just go back to sleep. Just call me when he's out. Exactly. I mean, I I got no sleep. Of course not. Yeah. Drove there first thing in the morning. And um, we had an appointment back at the crisis center uh, later on uh, that day. And we, we went to that. And they talked about, you know, he can come. The nice thing about it is, is he could go there and he could stay overnight there and he could bring Roscoe. Um, and go back and forth to class. So he has the freedom to do things like go to a job or go to class, uh, still have his, his dog there. And it's less restrictive than a psychiatric unit. Okay. So he, um, but he did not want to check in there. He said, I feel like I'll be okay. I think I just, I just hit a really bad low and I'll be fine. So he went back to the dorm, and things didn't seem to get better. They had, like, these group texts that they would send around on floors about what everybody's doing, or we're all going to the cafeteria, we're doing this. And somehow in a group text, it said something along the lines of that he had tried to kill himself, and he was crazy. He's, somebody else said this about yes. him? Yes. Oh, no. And it was one of the actual, it was a student who was actually a dorm, a dorm leader or something. Oh, wow. Um, And this just went on and he was so isolated. Uh, We ended up moving him over to an on-campus apartment. Um, But it just didn't seem to get better being on campus. And this was all in the first semester? Yes. Good grief. That is like a long semester. Yeah. And he had to move out of his first on-campus apartment to another one because there was some sort of furnace issue. Oh, jeez. And he was actually moved out of – he was moved – I moved him off campus right at the end of the first semester. While all this is going on the first semester, other than going to the crisis center – he didn't want to check in there. Was he getting any other therapy? Was he talking to anybody regularly? So he was going to, um, he was seeing a therapist. Um, and, you know, he just didn't have a great, it, it was just he, Wasn't a good they fit. didn't connect. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, didn't connect with the prescriber, didn't connect with his therapist. Um, finally, in, I guess it was like towards the end of second semester, I just said, we're moving you to something else. I'm finding a different place. This this is not working. And he was doing okay academically. 
Oh my gosh. He was passing all of his classes. Oh my gosh. He's doing great. You know, for a kid that went in, I mean, had a serious mental health crisis. Right. Was doing great. But it was all online. You know? So he's not having to be right there with people. But he still felt, you know, he felt so isolated. Mm -hmm. And, but once we got him um, off campus, Things were golden. I mean, as they as they can be, I sure. suppose. Uh, new therapist, new apartment. He felt. I think he felt a lot more freedom being off campus. Sure, and he could see his friends whenever he wanted yes. to. Um, he ended up with you know he ended up with COVID at one point when he was still on campus. So all of these things, oh, you gosh, know, he just yeah. had. It was just it was constant, and he just didn't feel like he had a really like large support system or group or anybody like a group that he could go and he could talk to there. Um, after some research, he found a, a group uh, at K-State. He's now on their board. They talk about mental health and wellness. Uh, they're the Thrive Navigators. And they um, put on different things throughout the year. Uh, they do art therapy. He had, he had, they they kind of brainstormed together and said, "What's something that we could do that would help people that we can do these you know these presentations with?" And he was like, "Art, I love mm-hmm. art. Let's do, you know, we'll have everybody come in. They can paint, um, you know." So we got a bunch of supplies, and he set up the first art therapy group, and they do their presentation. And he, um, the first one, he said one person showed up beyond mm. the board members. That's so discouraging. And he was just like, nobody nobody liked the idea. They obviously didn't like the idea. I said, well, maybe you need to do a little more marketing. I go, but think of it this way. That's one person yep. that you've connected with. Absolutely. You made a difference in, in that person. That person could have been where you were, where you were like, I don't want to be alive. Mm-hmm. And now that person says, I have this outlet. I can, I can paint. I can, I have this group. I can yeah. go talk to this group. Right. Um, and so they, they do, they give presentations around campus and they talk about mental health and he's very open about his situation and, um, you know, he talks about that when he does his presentations, which is really funny because, you know, he doesn't like being in big classrooms with a lot of people or really noisy places. But he'll get up in front of a big group of his peers and give these these presentations. Because he's passionate about helping he's others. passionate about it. Yeah. I mean, he's mm. learned, you know, he originally, when he went away to school, he originally wanted to study psychology. And after he had gone to the crisis center... Um, and he met the social worker, she had said, I went to K-State and studied social work. And she had such an impact on how he viewed his mental health and this disorder. I think people don't realize this, but they'll make the mistake and they'll say something like, oh, I'm I'm bipolar. And she said, don't say that because that's not who you are. Mm -hmm. You have right. bipolar. And I think once we all, you know, just because my family and just friends and everything, once they realize that you say he has this, it's not who he is. It does not define him. 
Mm-hmm. And so he just, it kind of empowered him mm-hmm. to change his outlook on it. And so he changed his major. And um, so he's going to be a social worker. Wow. Um, That's awesome. It, and he wants to, you know, his big, he's passionate about um, the social work system and how mental health is handled in the social work system. And, you know, he just wants to see big changes. Mm-hmm. And so I'm so proud of him because he, you know, he could have just kind of gone into a dark hole. Absolutely. And it's the same way with me. Like I, you know, I've been on some boards like on Facebook with different groups that, you know, parents that have children that have bipolar and um, some of the things some of the parents say, they'll be like, I hate my kid. Mm. And, you know, I mean, I remember when he was little a few times, I'd be like, I could pack him up in a FedEx box and send him <laughs> to my mom. <laughs> um, but I can't say I hate my kid because he has this disorder. Mm-hmm. Well, I couldn't say that I hate him anyways, but mm-hmm. I mean, but because of that, and I understand it's stressful and mm-hmm. I'm not saying I'm perfect and I'm not saying I haven't flipped out like when he's. I'm the only one that he, when he's in his, he'll get into these kind of rages and I'm the person that, that he, he takes it that out he on. Takes it out on. Mm-hmm. And it's because he knows no matter what, I love him. I will support him. But it's hard. Tell us if you would tell us what those rages are like. Uh, um, he screams. I mean, loud and you know and like I said he's big so he's got a big Mm -hmm. deep voice and you know when he's taller than me it's just more yelling and then but you can there's this this anxiety that you can see in it um and the his eyes kind of seem a little hooded when when he goes into this and he doesn't get you know he's not like physical or anything like that actually he's not I wouldn't say he's he's not physical to anybody else. I mean, he'd gone through in the beginning. He'd gone through. He there had been some cutting, which is not typical of males. Mm-hmm. But he'd gone through some cutting, and then you know we've gone through weight gain and weight loss and different things like that that are just kind of self destructive behaviors. But the rage is more of a lot of yelling and just and I mean it's just foul. I mean. The things that come out of him, he'll say these awful things and, you know, it'll always end up with, don't talk to me, you know, I don't want to talk to you anymore. You know, I that, that kind of, and a lot of, you know, he'll be like, F you, mom. Mm-hmm. And I know this is not him. Mm-hmm. Would you say that that's when he's manic? Yes. In manic state? Yes. And what what do you do? Do you just let him have those? I I let it happen. Moments, and then when it's over, does he understand? Does he know he did it? What oh, is- he knows. I mean, I always he knows that it's happened, but he doesn't usually remember everything that was said. Okay. Um, he always apologizes, mm. and when he apologizes, it is very sad. Um, mm-hmm. because he he's sad because he knows that he's said 
some awful things Mm -hmm. to the person that he loves the most. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, a lot of times when he does this, you know, now with him being somewhere else, when he does it, it's on the phone, I can just hang up. Well, yeah, you just (laughs) set it down and walk away. That's true. But he's, um, when he was at home, it was a different story, you know. Oh, gosh, yeah. He could literally follow me around and yell at me. But I kind of, when that was happening, um, when he was still living at home, I didn't I didn't ever talk to people about that because I was, it, it wasn't that I was embarrassed, but I didn't want people to think that it wasn't safe or mm-hmm. that oh my gosh, I would, I feel so sorry for her. I, I never want people mm-hmm. thinking that. Um, because, you know, I am convinced that someday, and I don't, you know, maybe it's not in my lifetime or Anthony's lifetime, that I know that it's something that can't be cured. But I feel like someday they're going to find something that will work. You know, and that there's hope. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, currently he's on a nice kind of cocktail mm. of medication that's working for him. He has some lows, but it's not um, it's not as scary. Uh, the last one he had was, I guess, right around. It must have been right after Thanksgiving. Giving. He did have one. He did not call me. Uh, no, it was before Thanksgiving. He did not call me uh, until the next day. Mm. He had actually gone to the crisis center. Well, which took is him, great. Took himself, got in the car, took himself wow. to the crisis center at midnight. That's so good. Yeah. And took care of it and went home. And he was still very low. So I, I, you know, of course, as a mom, you want to know, like, is my baby okay? Absolutely. So I drove there and I stayed with him for a few days. Um, but otherwise, I feel like, I feel like the, with this cocktail that he's on now, that the mood, the mood swings are, uh, they're, they're further apart. And are they less severe? And less severe. You know, it's hard to hear. You, It's hard to hear a person that is depressed saying things, you know, because he'll say bad things about himself. Like, you know, mm. the, the nobody likes me. I'm worthless. Why do you even care about mm. me? Um, but then as, as soon as he's out of it, he's, you know, he's a different person. I don't think that he's ever like he was before. 100%. But like I said, every once in a while I see a glimmer of that same kid. So I know that he's in there. But I'm just, you know, I just wish that it that it was there all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, he told me on this last, um, on this last low that he had, he said, I don't want to upset you, but I need to tell you that the thoughts are always there. Like in the back of my head, I'm always thinking, I don't want to be alive. He said every day. He said, but they come to the front and they get really bad. 
the the fact that that thought is never gone, it makes me so sad that he has that going on Mm -hmm. and there's not something that can change that. And do you worry about that? I worry worry (laughs) about that every day. I'm a happy person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm, but there is that constant worry of when am I going to get that phone call? Or I think my biggest one, the biggest one in this one, get a little emotional with this, but like, What's going to happen with him when I'm gone? Like, Who's going to take care of him? Because this is a lifelong commitment that I have. And I know there might be some point in time where my son's, you know, 40 years old and has to come live back in my ma- in my basement or something because he's having problems. Or I like to think on the positive side, though, a little bit that maybe he'll be one of those that small group of people who they say kind of grows out of it. Um, So I'm hopeful that that can happen. But um, I also, you know, there's, there's always that constant thought. Sure. You know, when am I going to get the next phone call? Um, Will he ever be happy? And it's, um, you know, it's sad, but I just feel like we just have to, you know, pull up our pants and we just have to go on and find the positive side to this. The positive side is, is that he's helping other people right now. He will continue to do that, going into a helping profession and, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully as time goes on, the stigma behind mental health will go away. That's my hope. One of my my other hopes is that mental health care will be more accessible. Yes. And that they'll put things out there letting people know what to do. Um, you know, they're always saying if you see something, say something. But I I also just don't think there's enough information out there. Right. Well, and that's interesting that you say that because in the first season of, of the Just a Mom podcast, I interviewed a couple of, of experts, but every single parent, mm-hmm. save one who has sat in that sat in that chair, has said, I didn't know what to do and I didn't know who to call. Right. Which told me we have an education issue. Yes. So the season two of the podcast, I'm incorporating a lot more resources mm-hmm. so that hopefully... Yeah, there are a few people who listen and think, okay, now I can put that in my toolbox if and when I ever need it. As you say, with education, I mean, there are all kinds of things that you can go into uh, your school nurse and you can get information on. You know, where are the posters talking about mental health? Um, Where, uh, you know, where's the education on the, on, I, I and when I was in college, and I mean this was, you know, I was this is back in '93. I think I took this class. I took a class. It was called something along the lines of valuing differences. Mm-hmm. And growing up, I grew up in a small town, and there you didn't see a lot of. But I still was very my, you know, I I was very open about everything, and I didn't, you know, I never looked at somebody and said, oh, 
um, they're not normal or what have you. Where is a class like that, right? Instead of saying they're not normal, that you can value people's differences. And this mental health, that's exactly what that is. It's a difference. Absolutely. It's a difference. We have so many things going on today that um, people are shedding light on. And um, I just wish that mental health was one of those things that people were talking about. I mean, they have to start the conversation. And it can't be, it shouldn't be taboo anymore. It should be, I mean, more and more people are talking about that it. That is true. And there are things, you know, there are all kinds of things going on, but you you don't walk into a place and necessarily see an informational poster about it. You're going to see an inf- informational poster about mental health when you walk into the psychiatric unit. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> true. But you're not going to see that. Not even when you walk into just a doctor's office. Mm. Um, you know, I I I feel like it's like they just kind of it's like the little forgotten thing that people just don't want to talk about. So we're just going to put it away. And if we if we don't see anything, it's not happening. And I I agree with a lot of what you said. And Mm -hmm. I think particularly for our generation, the Mm -hmm. generations ahead of us, we didn't talk about mental health. No. I mean, I was was familiar. um, In fact, um, the looking back, the family, we have a family history, not a big family history, but a relative uh, that, you know, back in the day was manic depressive. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't have the mm-hmm. the they didn't say bipolar, they said manic depressive and everybody got lithium for that. Mm-hmm. And um so you know, there definitely is this um you know, obviously it's hereditary because now we've we have three different people in our family, my child being one of them. And so I was familiar with that. We were not really sheltered from it. They just, you know, my family didn't talk about it. Right. But um, therapy was always something. Mm-hmm. Like if you wanted to go to therapy, you could go to therapy. Really? In my wow. That's, that was a very progressive <laughs> yeah, idea. It was. I mean, I think that the first time I ever went to therapy was when I was 16, I think. Okay. Yeah, well, good for your which was a big, yeah, which was a big deal. You know, I mm-hmm. had a lot of anxiety when I was younger, and um, it just, you know, that that was really helpful. And so it it wasn't something that was really common. I mean, I, in my hometown, I know there was a unit, <clears throat> a separate hospital unit that was a mental health and drug rehabilitation center, and um. It was very, I mean, people would always talk about it. They'd be like, oh, so-and-so is there. Like it was this, mm-hmm. ooh, gosh, big deal. They've got all the doors on lockdown and they have, and it's just like, okay, so it's a hospital mm-hmm. where people go. Who are sick. Who are sick and who need help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's no different than going mm-hmm. in. I mean, honestly, it's no different than going in and getting, you know, treatment for something else. Absolutely. And that's where we have got to get as a society with mental illness. And right. I, you know, I hope that 
I can help just make one little dent in that. Absolutely. I I was thrilled when I heard about your podcast and listening to it. I was, it was like binge watching a show on Netflix. (laughs) I'm like binge podcasting. Well, because you've, and that's why I'm doing this is because you've walked this walk. Yes. You have felt isolated and alone Mm -hmm. and scared. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's something about knowing that you're not alone. There is. There is. I, I really, you know, none of my friends have children who have, um, well, I shouldn't say none of my friends have children who don't, ha- who don't have mental health issues. You know, there's some depression here and there, but no, uh, no severe ones that have this much of a, mm-hmm. of a roller coaster sure. happening. Um, but, you know, I have, I have had people reach out to me and say, so my kid's doing this. Is this really, is it normal? Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, what is normal? Quite honestly. I know. When you said that I did air quotes. Yeah, it is. I mean, who the heck knows Right. Right. I I had a friend who reached out to me about her, her son and back to his six. And she said, "Could can they even diagnose someone with that as early as that? And I was like, absolutely. It's harder. But because typically with bipolar, people are diagnosed, you know, in their late teens mm-hmm. up until about 25. Yep. I mean, they're, you always think that once somebody turns 21, they're an adult and they're mm-hmm. not. I mean, they're in adolescence till, I think you're considered in adolescence till 24 or 25. Right. That frontal lobe, that yes. frontal cortex. Yes. Still and developing. So, so I look at it this way. He's, my, Anthony's 21 now. So I've got at least another four years of a real good ride. <laughs> <laughs> well, and like you said, you're always going to be his mom. I'm always going to be his mom. And I, you know, I'm just always trying to keep my sense of humor intact through this whole thing. Um, and just, we just have to go with it day by day. Yeah. And, and hope that, you know, there's, there's something in the future that will, will help. I think you have told me several things during our conversation that give me a whole lot of hope for Anthony. Oh yeah. Number one, he has asked for help multiple times. Yes. Multiple times. Number two, when he didn't ask for help, somebody knew that there was something wrong. His friends knew something was not right, Mm -hmm. and they asked for help for him. Yes. That, when you were talking about that, that really struck me. Mm -hmm. And I hope, and again, I keep saying this, I hope that there are people listening to the podcast who don't have children who are struggling, but that they hear this and think, okay. I'm going to talk to my teenage son or daughter about pay attention. Yeah. If you think there's something wrong with someone, mm-hmm. don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. And don't be afraid to say something. Right. Because, because, okay, so let's say you say something and maybe that person was just having a bad day. But, and then you feel bad because you've drawn attention to this person who was just having a bad day or a bad week or whatever. But... You know, say something because you just, I mean, you never know. They potentially saved his life that night. Oh, I absolutely believe that they so did. So 
I mean, there's no question. Like I can't even. I, they literally ran from across campus to his dorm and were banging on the door. I mean, of course, somebody was already up there with him, but and they're like, "We're not leaving until we know that he's okay." And I'm just like, I'm so grateful that he has that. Yes, and that he knows that people aren't leaving. Yeah. They're sticking by him. Yep. And that that is like you know, it it makes me happy knowing that he has that, but I also feel the same way. Like I will not leave you. Yep. No matter what. It I am here. I'm here for the long haul. Mm-hmm. And that's um you know, I think as a parent, that's the only thing you can do. Right. Because you sure can't control it. No, no, I can't control it. I mean, what it so this has happened. Mm-hmm. What do you do? You can't sit in a dark room and watch Lifetime movies all day, even though you might feel like you want to. Right. You got to just you got to, you know, get up and and keep on doing life. Mm. Is there anything that I have not asked you that you want to share? Um, you know, there's there was one thing I, I didn't mention when I was doing this. And I think that, um, first off, finding the right therapist is so important. And even if your insurance doesn't cover that therapist, talk to them. See if they have some sort of deal that they can work out with you. Yes. I know Anthony's first therapist was not on my insurance. And I said, I don't care. And they said, well, we have a like a scholarship type thing. And so it was just a reduced rate. And it, it was like $45 per session or something, which is actually, I mean, that's. Oh, that's incredible. That's, yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. And um, find the right therapist, find the right prescriber. Mm-hmm. Um, they do have, um, Anthony had the, the DNA swab done Did he? okay i've heard a couple of other people yeah. that i've interviewed okay yeah if people have not had that done try it i mean okay. it's, it's worth a shot anthony unfortunately she said i've never seen a result like this because it says basically he can have any of the medications and won't have a problem but we know that's not true okay so because it's not foolproof it's but, not foolproof but it's something but it has helped a lot of people good it has helped a lot of people yeah i've interviewed a person a couple of people who have done it and mm-hmm. have found it helpful so it's another resource it is another resource and i think that you know just talk to people don't be afraid to talk to people about it and and you know you hate to say embrace it mm. but like for instance you you're doing this podcast. Um, you know, you've embraced what you've been through and you're trying to do something to help. And I think that's the the best thing that you can do. Just days are hard. A lot of crying. Yeah. A lot of up, ups and downs. But it's, um, you know, you just, you like, get up and do your best. And as long as you're doing your best and loving your kid or your family member, everything will be okay. Mm. I mean, it's not, um, 
it's not, you can't think of it as like the end of the world. Because when you start thinking of it as the end of the world, then that will just take you down the dark rabbit hole and nobody needs to be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Aaron, thank you so much mm. for sharing your story, sharing your heart, um, and the things that you've learned oh, yeah. through this. I have absolutely no doubt that your story and Anthony's story being shared, it's going to help people. So thank you for being willing to do this. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you being on this episode of the Just a Mom podcast. If you or someone you know is struggling with suicidal thoughts or ideation, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 988. Once you smile again, take away that pain and them clouds that keep covering up the sun. I want to see you smile again, take away that pain and them clouds that keep covering up the sun. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a rating and or a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, please share this with your friends and anyone you think may find these interviews helpful. Thanks again for listening to Just a Mom.